everybody, this is William Del Pilar, and this is the Red, White, and Rude Show, and I am here with my co-host, Sean King. No, no relation to Talcum X. Sean, my brother, how are you doing today? Good, good. Ready to get this going. <laughs> Let me take care of what pays the bills. For everybody, this is the Red, White, and Rude Show, episode five. You can catch previous episodes at grumblingsmedia.com, as well as YouTube and Rumble. Under those two channels, we are under the name Grumblings Media. You can also hear us on your traditional podcast outlets such as Google, Spotify, Apple, and Pandora. And Sean, this is a, 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 a first episode where we played it like a TV show, reviewing each segment, what we want to get out, what we want to do. I, I kind of think we, we've been improving a little. What are your thoughts? Well, are we getting more listens? That'll, that'll be the ultimate determinant. That is true. I guess we had some massive listening growth the first show. Yeah. Second show, well, yeah, we got to get better topics than I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's growth Yeah, it's process. definitely, it's not the host. It's got to be the topics. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's get to it. We've got some good topics. We're going to talk about the movie Leave the World Behind. We're going to talk about that last week. For those that don't know, it's making the media rounds for a variety of reasons, one being that the Obamas were executive producers. Uh, from there, we're going to talk about Jonathan Majors and uh, his downfall, his fall from grace, rising star, uh, seen as one of the next strong black lead actors in America has been canceled. And we're going to talk about that. And finally, we got some quick hits. We may or may not may not get to some of them depending on, on the time, but hopefully we have some time to talk about Mickey Mouse and the public domain. We want to give you a final update on Chandler Bing, aka Matthew Perry. And the final one, why am I drawing a blank here, Sean? The Marvels. The Marvels concluded their, their theatrical run, and the numbers are in on that. So, Sean, let's get to it. First of all, give me, tell me a little bit about Leave the World Behind, the overview of what it is. First of all, it's a Netflix movie. If you have Netflix, you can't see it. It did have a very short theatrical release, as most Netflix, uh, not high budget, but movies they want to go viral and be seen. So tell us about the premise uh, before we get into uh, breaking it down. Well, the, sh the short version is that uh, family uh, does a getaway. They rent a nice little home out in uh, the nice part of uh, New York, and uh, they're there on vacation, and then weird things start happening. I guess a cyber attack uh, takes place and knocks out all their devices, and then two st strangers to them, but apparent owners of the home they're renting show up, and from there, it's them... Uh, them, the uh, interaction between these two people and the family living there and uh, and trying to figure out what is exactly going on in the world around them. Right. It's what you would call an uh, apocalyptic, is that how you pronounce it? An apocalyptic thriller. Post-apocalyptic. Post <laughs> yeah, post I can't even spell it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the first stage towards a dystopian society that you see on all the other science fiction style movies. Uh, the Obamas were executive producers. Now, Sean and I talked about this off the air and getting our notes and our act together. And, and one definition I have for, 
executive producers as was given to me when I, I took a couple of film courses in college. And, and, and actually, they helped out a lot in understanding Hollywood and how it works. And one of the premises I was given for executive producer by the teacher, where she told the class, she goes, sometimes those titles are given out to people who don't actually do nothing. So they got to find a title for them to justify the salary. Or in other cases, it's a big name and they want that big name uh, attached to the movie. And I believe that. But I remember this, Sean, in the 90s, uh, my first thought, being a 28-year-old kid, 20, 26, 28-year-old kid, uh, was, well, man, that sucks for the executive producers who actually do the work. And you have some insight into that and, and, and how that's not broken down. Yeah, well, I, I, when you watch the movie, the Obamas are listed in, in the opening scenes when they're rolling names. The Obamas are listed as the first executive producers. And then they start listing other executive producers and then executive producers with the symbol uh, PGA after their name. And PGA stands for Producers Guild of America. So um, I talked to some people who are in the industry to try to get some clarification on this. And you get the designation is, is coveted by people that PGA is coveted because it says that it's a it's an evaluation marker to prove that you produced pretty much the movie from inception of idea to casting and that you pretty much did all the work. So the people who had that by their name on this film, I'm thinking are the ones that, you know, actually did most of the work and the people like the Obamas who just had their name up there, you know, did what you're, you learned in film class was given an a credit to, you know, pretty much make them feel good and get their name attached to the film. And it works, Sean, because the Obamas are progressive gods. You know, they too. And there's all the progressives. Oh, my God, unicorn farts, unicorn farts. I mean, that's how they're seen. So that was a smart move, actually. The book's author is an anti-Trump hater, hates him with a passion, and wrote the book during Trump's reign. And and in his mind, this is what Trump was bringing to the world. Ironically, Trump never got us into any world wars. We weren't close to this. We are close to it now with Biden, though. But we kind of misstepped here, Sean. First of all, let me tell the audience what an executive producer does. It's a, I'm going to read this. It's a top-level film production member who works for a studio or produces films independently. They are in charge of source funding and supervising other producers. And that's kind of what I remember from my class back in the 1990s, my film class. And by the way, the teacher did not like me. <laughs> Some of their specific duties are concept development. They had nothing to do with this. The book was already written. Another writer took it and transformed it to the, to, 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 to the screen. Budget management, they had nothing to do with it. They, they didn't put a dime in. They probably didn't bring anybody in to, 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 to help uh, uh, pay for the movie. But I could be wrong. Because that's the power of people like the Obamas. People want to work with them just to be seen with them. So it's easy for them to get some rich people to put some money in. So maybe they, they have some some uh, uh, some work in that. And intellectual property ownership. That I have no clue on. But it deals with owning the intellectual property of the project they are working on. I would say no because it's based off a book. They, don't, they may have the rights, but that's the right to own it, to be able to do something with it like a film, etc. You know, but like I said, it's also a title with no responsibilities for actors and television shows. After X amount of years, they can't keep justifying that pay raise, that big giant pay raise. So they give them an executive producer title. Uh, I remember Kelsey Grammer talking about that before. And again, it's for rich and powerful people who want to be attached to projects or like the Obamas are on the Netflix board. So, so that's what the executive uh, producer 
uh, as well. So, Sean, uh, uh, you, you, you kind of talked about the movie. The movie's broken up into chapters, part one, the house, uh, where you talked about where they rent the house. And then during that chapter, the true owners come in, which are two black individuals. One's the daughter and one's the black owner. Uh, played very well. I thought both. I thought the acting was great, Sean. Uh, how do you pronounce his name? Mahershala Ali and uh, 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 another woman played the daughter, and they came in. Amanda Saffer was played by Julia Roberts. And Sean, what did you think of her role from the perspective? She was not, uh, 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 what was her first big movie? Uh, uh, Pretty uh, Woman. Yeah, yeah, she was not a pretty woman to that. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about, well, she's in her 50s and she looks, she, she, she has not aged well. But she did a tremendous acting role in terms of playing the non-trustworthy uh, human being. What did you think uh, of the acting uh, between uh, Mahershala and her character throughout the movie? And we'll go on to the next uh, part. Well, first off, I think you're being a little rough. Julia Roberts doesn't look that bad. Jeez, come on. I mean, no, she's you not know a pretty woman anymore, but. It's Jeez. her lips. Her her lip. Her, her top lip has always looked like a bad Botox. Uh, uh not Botox, but a uh, fat injection. But that that's always been her natural lip. So, but to me, that just looks weird. I I do not like women who get those lip injections because I, I can't even imitate it. it just it just kind of grosses me out. But you see, know, but I didn't lips, think she you know, got them. She, she, I didn't think she got it. I thought she more looked like she has lines from smoking, like you know, from constant smoking, oh, how you get be, the lines around be. your mouth. But what no, do I'm know? sorry, but I think, Sean. But it, it, it's just her lip for me. That's it. I mean, her age, her wrinkles, I didn't know. It's just that lip. It's just not my taste. But So I apologize. Uh, yeah. She has not <laughs> aged ugly. She's just, it's that lip. It's, it's never been. Let me put it to you this way. Had I been Richard Gere, she would not have been my choice <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, what did you think All of the right. acting? I thought those two had, had not, I don't want to say field chemistry, but they did such a superb job, you know, uh, uh, Myers. They all did. Even Ethan Hawke played the buffoonish uh, uh, husband. I thought they all did. So, so overall, what's your thoughts on the acting? Well, the acting was 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 pretty good. I'm not, you know, like we'll get to what I think of the film. But in general, you know, uh, I think Julia Roberts was playing, you know, portrayed her character well of uh, an angry, untrustworthy woman. I mean, they, I know they tried to turn it into more of a racist thing, but at the beginning of the movie, she pretty much says she doesn't like people. So I don't think it has to do with racism. It's generally she just wanted to get away from people. I understand that. I go to Disneyland and I'm around thousands of people. I start losing my mind. I, I can't stand that people. So but the movie took a turn from her just generally wanting to get away and disliking people to focusing more on a like a, a racial tension more than anything, I thought, this film. Well, I got news for people. There is racial tension in those types of situations. It's it's common human nature. But they were trying to portray it as a racist, you know. And I'm going to fast forward because we're talking about this now. Julia Roberts, in all pure honesty, as white individuals, there is a little bit of that tinge. Not that people are racist, but you have different cultures. However, they want to show that as pure racism. Oh, that's a racist person, a racist person. Then let's fast forward to a scene where they're in the bed and the daughter says, you can't trust white people, Papa, you know, because of this, this, and this. That's a racist indoctrinated belief that is permeating through America. And it has always permeated, permeated once the Democrats said, this is our game plan to get black Americans to vote Democrat. 
So they're justifying the black child's concerns as legitimate when the reality is it's a racist. Uh, it, it's a racist belief that's being taught to black Americans. There's no if, ands, or buts. Flip the switch. If that had been a white person talking to their white father and said, Daddy, we can't trust them because they're black, we would still be flooded all over uh, uh, the internet with how racist that is. So my point is that was an unfair and wasn't done properly in, 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 in truthfulness in terms of portraying that. But I, Julia Roberts was spot on in how she played the role. Because I think that is how not just a white person, any person, you reverse the roles there, Sean, had Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke's characters been black and been a white family, same reaction. Life and death, you're scared, beatless. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You're not going to trust a stranger that just shows up and says something. Uh, your thoughts on my specifics of what I just said, and, and, and then we'll move on to your next point. Well, I think, you know, getting to the movie where he should he shows up, I don't – personally, yes, okay, so it's a, a black man showing up at your front door in the middle of the night, and, you know, they're making it about racist racism. I am the type of person, I'm not going to answer the, I'm not going to open my door at whatever, midnight at night, you know, I'm going to be there. They can, st I would have talked to them through the door, probably while holding a gun, but it, that's a whole other thing. And, and ask them why they're here. And then I would have said, well, I don't know you. Great. We've communicated through email. Okay. Well, we'll have to talk later. It's midnight. I'm not allowing someone I don't know into my house. So that was, you know, it, it got portrayed as racism, but me as a person wouldn't let a white, black, anybody, I wouldn't have opened the door to. Exactly, exactly. And and to make it even worse in terms of what they tried to portray as white racism, when she goes, it's a fair ask. Let me see some ID. I mean, like, bleep that. When they were at the door, I would have said, let me see the ID. Where's your address that this is your house? And it would have nothing to do with their black. It's electricity, power's going out, crap's happening. And y'all all of a sudden show up out of the blue. I don't care what color you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're my long lost cousin. I'm going to do what Sean said. And I would have had a gun too. I was in that situation once and didn't have the gun. And that was a smart decision. I chose not to get the gun when this drunk came up to the house and started charging, you know. Uh, and my point being is when stuff happens that quickly, that fast, and I'm sure you as a former cop have seen that. You know, sometimes you react off of instinct. So I thought that whole scene Sean played out was nothing but fake movie. Because I think the average human would not have reacted and let them in as they did. You know, so uh, uh, so let's move on then. So then there's the curve when she notices uh, 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 alerts on the blackout. Uh, uh, you know, and that's when the GH, you know, played by uh, uh, Mahershala, confides in her that hey, look. I tried to get my satellite phone, which is satellite-based to work, nothing to do with Wi-Fi, and it didn't work. So I thought they were setting the movie up pretty well at that point. However, at that point, Sean, I thought the movie was moving kind of slow. Any thoughts before we move on to the next part? Uh, no, well, I'll, let's move on to the next part. Okay, so then you have the part three called The Noise, uh, uh, and that's where we get the first talk about Kevin Bacon. He was seen earlier as a cold, old country guy, didn't care that she was smiling at him, got in his truck, left. and that's all we heard about him until this scene. And they decide uh, 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 he comes up because he's a prepper. 
He's a prepper. And also the pamphlet, they start getting scared because the big drone dropping pamphlets showing that they may be attacked by somebody. For Americans out there, back in the day, and I don't know if they still do it, but back in the day, we used to have big old planes flying over countries we were fighting, and they would drop pamphlets. Help is coming, we're here. Kind of that same role they were playing, but saying death to America. And uh, then they decide to leave. And Sean, it's, in, uh, it's not important to the scene, but you brought it up when we weren't talking. But I just want to briefly talk about your issue in relation to the movie, how there was a disconnect with reality, with your thoughts on the Wi-Fi and all that, but with the scene when they're trying to escape uh, Long Island. Are, are you talking about the, the electricity or yeah, the... Uh, combined with what you saw with the, what the cars were doing. It kind of yeah. didn't make sense to you. It didn't and, make and sense the, to me that they, you know, they, they knocked out Wi-Fi. They knocked out anything being able to transmit over even the TV. Um, everything got knocked out. The Teslas were driving and crashing. I don't know how they were controlling that, but yet they still had power at the house. So it's, it, you know, if, and they're dropping pamphlets. So they managed to knock out everything but the power, you know, get, get a hold of satellites to control, say, all this stuff, but they didn't knock out the power. I, that's, that's, that's where I was a little. Confused. No, I get you. I get you. And, and and I think you're wrong and right, or you're on the right path, but it, it can all be explained. One, with the cars, possibly satellites. Uh, with the, with them having power, it's because they're good, they could be on a grid that hasn't been affected. Because remember, theoretically, it was New York City was one of the targets as any big urban area. But all that said, Sean, it doesn't really matter. I think it had to be that way to keep the movie going forward, you know, to keep the plot rolling. It's kind of like you have to assume certain TV mythological beliefs so the movie and the story can be told. I, I think that's kind of what happened. Well, you know, so in essence, once they saw they couldn't leave on Long Island, they were forced to go back to the house. And that brought us to part four, the flood. The only thing important about the flood in terms of our talk is that the sun's teeth started to fall out. You know, uh, uh, and they never really explained that at all. But then we get to part five, which is what brings us to the, isn't this the right word, the penultimate point or, or the, 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 you know, all the plot points coming together for us to finally figure out what's happening. And, uh, uh, and that was predicated by uh, the kid losing his teeth. Uh, they kind of alluded to it through, for, through a tick fight. Uh, I told my wife, based off a of radio report in the movies about radiation pockets and what GH has said, I'm like, maybe there was some radiation that had been bombarding the electromagnetic freaks. Who knows? What was your thought with the teeth falling out? How did you, were you able to tie that into making sense with the movie? Well, I, I tied it in that they, they used the tick bite as the reason. Now, I, I don't know what tick bites cause uh, teeth to fall out that quickly. But uh, that's that's what they used. I would have thought more of a radiation, but then other people should have been affected and, and showed some signs. My, so it it alluded to the tick, but didn't really didn't sell me on it. Let's just say. Right, right. And, and I thought another fake movie scene was her lack of. When I was sick like that. I don't know about your mom, but my mom would be all over me. Yeah, let me take the tent. Let me do this. Let me do that. Especially during an apocalyptic time when you're so concerned about your family and living and dying. So I kind of found her nonchalantness a little off-putting in terms of her concern for her son there. And if he's sick with a fever, what the hell is he doing in bed with y'all? You know, because you know the family was all huddled together. So, so, so that was my issue with that. But, but I kind of found that as a poor plot point to get the movie moving, get the movie moving forward. But 
I guess maybe I'm wrong because the teeth is what facilitated the whole plot point of the movie forward with Kevin Bacon getting involved. And uh, I thought they did a good scene with with human nature and with Kevin Bacon and how he was viewing life. Uh, 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 and, and talk about that in terms of what your thoughts about it on the porch and, and the standoff. And then I want to bring the race component back into it afterwards, uh, after uh, you make your comments. But what did you think of, of that scene playing out? In your mind, did it show human nature? Uh, uh, what could happen to people during an apocalyptic time? Well, definitely. I, I see the Kevin Bacon character, and I think I'm pretty close to being that guy someday. Because, uh, you know, I'd have a shotgun. I, you know, I have supplies. And, you know, if people start coming to my house, I'd be, I'd probably, you know, knowing what he knows that we're, that, that things have happened and that, that they're isolated and no one's coming to save you right now. I'd probably be at my front door with a shotgun too, thinking, hey, these people are here to take my food, my water, whatever I got. So that's not happening. Let's, let's meet them at the front door with the shotgun. So, uh, I know you're going to get into the racial thing, but I think it's just a you not trusting anybody coming to your door. You know, he, you know, if, whether it had just been Ethan Hawke's character by himself showing up to the door, I think the reaction would have been exactly the same. The character they showed, the brief moments we got was he loaded up his truck prepping. And so he was obviously a prepper. And when people came to his door, that's how he's going to greet him during that situation. I agree. I agree. And uh, due to for the audience, what we're talking is about is towards the end of the movie, the kid without the teeth. They, Julia Roberts' character, recognized him as stocking up. He was stocking his uh, truck up with a lot of supplies. That's what she saw early. And then through coincidence of movie magic, Kevin Bacon's character happened to be the contractor who had repaired GH's uh, uh, house and upgraded it, et cetera, et cetera. That's why they went there. So he was a prepper. And Sean's absolutely correct. That's how I think it would play out. He wants to protect his family. They want to get help for their son. It has nothing to do with uh, skin color. It has everything to do with human nature and survivability and fear, scare, and, and the fear of death. And uh, the racism component came in through subliminal. There's a whole art to studying Hollywood and subliminal or subconscious messaging. So things you see but's not related kind of trigger certain things. In this case, it was having the flag on the porch. It was, he was a prepper and he didn't care. Technically, that's all true. But the flag was the scene, the kicker scene, because they tried to tie preppers in with, with patriotism. Yeah, and then from there, it extended out to the natural, he's an a-hole character because he doesn't want to help him. And the, and the audience never, ever, ever wanting to attach themselves to the reality of any situation, but and rather playing God on their soapbox, watching it from above, judge him uh, in a different way than what he should really be judged. So that was, a, and I, I, I actually saw that, but I didn't care. I didn't care, Sean, about any of the racial uh, uh, overtones here because I was into the movie more so. But I did see it and recognize it for what it is and was. And it's kind of depressing that they don't have to show it that way. Uh, because again, if they want to show realism, they would have portrayed the daughter as being uh, the racist she was with a comment about you can't trust white people. Why? Because they were stereotyping the whole culture. And again, had somebody said you can't trust black people, how that would have been all over the news. Ah, they're racist. So, so I got that. But overall, Sean, uh, and to the audience, that wasn't just the movie. 
except for one thing we haven't brought up yet. I'll let Sean talk about that. What was the one recurring theme throughout the whole movie, which culminated at the very end? And it's about another topic we're going to talk about later. Wait, what do you, uh, which one are you alluding to? The friends theme throughout the movie. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, well, then maybe you should talk about that because you're the Friends fanatic. Uh, I, I've, I've barely watched any episodes. Actually, I'm just a great researcher. I've never watched all of Friends. I've always watched episodes of it. I still want to see the final episode because I saw the episode before it, and I want to see how it ended. And uh, so, so the daughter is obsessed with Friends. She's watched every episode, and the apocalypse happens. And the final episode is on her iPad, stuck in mid-frame at the beginning. And throughout the movie, her whole stick is, I don't care that we're all dying in the apocalypse here. I want to see my final episode of Friends. So at the end of the movie, the resolution of the movie, and it boggles my mind that people didn't get this. And we'll talk about this now, is the resolution of the movie was they're in an apocalypse. Doesn't matter what they think of one another. They've got to trust and work with each other and have each other's back. And that's kind of the resolution we come out with. And part of the resolution is there's a bunker down the road. That's where we got to go. And during the final third of the movie, the young girl's missing. She just took off one morning and says, I've got to do this myself. Meaning she's, she's made up her mind to do something. And we, the whole underlying thing, we've got to find it. Where's she at? But, uh, and at the end, they show her. She found the bunker. And because it's a bunker, it's meant for end of day. So obviously food, entertainment, and they show a whole wall of DVDs. And obviously, you know what's coming. What's there is friends. So as she's popping the DVD in, they're showing New York City getting bombed. Sean, what was your thought when that, did you tell, I mean, did that have any relevance to you? To me, it didn't have relevance as much as, concluding the underlying theme of the movie, the young girl wanting to watch the final episode of Friends and she finally gets to watch it. That's all I got out of it. I'm sure they were trying to tie in a message with that final scene of her watching Friends and, and New York City being bombed and everybody concluding we're in ap uh, uh, apocalyptic times. Did you get any tie-in or did you sense anything like that? Did that scene strike you in the sense of it was part of a bigger message? Well... I can see what he was trying to do because I thought this whole movie, the uh, the director was trying too hard to make, I call it too filmsy, the, you know, the art of filmmaking. And I'm no filmmaker, obviously, but number one, she wants to see friends, which is what all these people are trying to become, friends. So they're doing the undertone. The, la the last episode is the last one. Hence, they're the last ones. And, you know, so, yeah, I see where they're making it filmsy, how they're tying friends, the last one in, because I saw, you know, as I was telling you, this this whole movie seemed to me like he was trying too hard to make it, you know, that that filmy type of movie that, you know, other filmmakers will think is great. But, you know, the casual viewer like me is like, eh, what? You know, I, I told you how he did the the crazy weird camera angles numerous times that actually got me dizzy a couple of times. And I was like, he's just trying too hard to do weird camera angles. Um, and then, you know, when they're when uh, scenes are coming up, when they're trying to hold your attention, 
they're using piano key strikes, you know, like ding, ding, you know, over and over again, like old Alfred Hitchcock soundtrack. So I just thought in general, they're trying, this whole movie, if you're looking at it, was trying too hard to be a filmmaker's film instead of a film for the viewer. So that's my tie in that I saw. Is it really necessary? I guess if you're Mr. Filmmaker, it is for the casual viewer like me, not so much. Yeah, that's always a, uh, a uh, uh, I forget the term, I don't know the term, but but there's always some kind of theme in a lot of movies that isn't directly related, but kind of transcends the movie and you follow along. Uh, and for Sean, for you saying I'm the French buff, because I'm not, you're the one who was able to explain the ending there. I had no clue it was called the last one there. Uh, and, and for the audience, despite all the racial issues, et cetera, et cetera, there's a, one conclusion all scientists, all preppers, everybody has come to in apocalyptic times. The only way you're going to survive is by working together uh, uh, to survive whatever, whatever calamity is coming. And I'm not going to say it's, it's a poignant. Is that how you say it? P-O-I-G-N-A-N-T, poignant? Uh, uh, poignant, or, yeah. It, yeah, it, it wasn't a poignant scene, but it was one of those serious, uh, deep uh, scenes at the end of the car. With, with with G.H., uh, uh, the father of Julia Roberts' character, I mean, the husband and the son, where they realize, we, you, you got my back. This is what's happening. And they realize that, and they headed the bunker. And then the daughter, who uh, 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 showed herself to be quite the racist, versus the mother, who the writers wanted us to see as racist, they come together, too. And realize it's fear that's driving them. They're scared and they're lashing out and they come together. And my point being is I'm glad the writers got that right because it broadened the horizon. Uh, and this isn't an important movie that people have to see. But I thought that's what made the movie. I like that movie versus I watch this whole movie to the end. If that's the freaking ending, I hate it when that happens. When it's an ending that doesn't fulfill you or it's a political ending or something stupid that destroys what I thought was a pretty decent movie. So I thought the ending was very realistic in a happy way. Because, you know, in, in real life, it could also go the other way. You know, GH really realizes, oh, dear God, you know, this is how the world is. Boom, boom, shoots other family, you know, goes to his home. What did you think of the ending and, and from the perspective of what I'm saying? How did you see it? Uh, you know, they they sort of wrapped it up a little quicker than uh, I would have liked. But, I mean, the movie was already, I think, two hours and 20 minutes at that point. So I think <laughs> they were forced to, to wrap it up. So, uh, and which also, we should probably, we've been on this uh, topic for a while. We yeah, should probably yeah, wrap yeah. it up. Yeah, we got one up. more comment. So let's just. The final is the reception. The reception. Uh, 76% uh, positive review, average rating of 6.9 uh, by 10, over 10. Uh, Meta, that was uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic uh, assigned it a film score of 67 out of 100. Uh, the viewership, it, it, I just checked today from December 4th to December 10th, it was the number one movie on Netflix with 41.7 million views. It's still the number one. However, for it to have any relevance, it's got to stay in the top 10 for, for about a month or two. And Because a lot of movies start with a bang on top 10, uh, Cowboy Bebop, for example, and then they fall off and they become flops. So so that was the reviews of it. Uh, uh, it was a book based uh, of the Trump presidency and how the author felt on Trump's sentiments. Overall, great job. I would recommend it to people. Sean is right. Uh, 
I thought there was more coming at the end, uh, and I would have watched it. But the truth is, at two hours and 20 minutes, they had to cut it off. I don't know if that was because the book was like that or they chose to. The one final comment I'll say is they wanted to make this a representation of the Trump presidency, the Trump era, Sean. Uh, it actually is more of a representation of the Biden era. The world's devolving. We're watching it happen today. We have an inept president who does nothing. Wars breaking out across the globe. Our own citizens are in economic hardship. Race relations are a disaster. And people feel as if there's no hope. The author wanted to sit there and show that in Trump, which was the exact opposite of the greatest booming economy in our history. Race relations were improving under Trump in terms of the working class people. Everything I just said falls under the Biden. You get the last word on what I just said about this represents the Biden era, and then we move on. Well, if, it rep if we're representing the Biden era, I should be taking a nap during this podcast like he's taking naps all the time that I see him while he's out and about. But anyways, uh, yeah, I'm no fan of him. And uh, it's sadly representing where our country's headed, in my opinion, because of uh, our current administration. And I'll leave it, uh, leave it at that as Sleepy Joe is asleep at the wheel. And uh, there you we can go. move on. All right, Jonathan Majors, canceled. Uh, you know, it's tough seeing uh, uh, somebody getting canceled for me, a man. But you gotta, I always sit there and say it's tough for me to see that because they're always accused, judged, and executed without the evidence. This case, the evidence actually came out, and the jury found them guilty. Talk to us about Jonathan Majors, the overview uh, 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 what's well? First of all, who is Jonathan Majors, and then an overview of, of what's happening to him. Well, well, he's a actor, obviously, who's been in some Marvel movies. He played Kang, uh, the Conqueror, I believe it's called, in uh, yes. uh, one the Ant the Ant Man movie, and then he's been in the Loki series. I get I didn't really pay attention to any of those movies of all the Marvel ones. So, but anyways. Uh, but you getting back to your point, he was luckily not canceled until after he was uh, convicted, which is typically not what's happening in our culture. Right. So for people screaming, you know, which we'll get to, you know, whether racism brought him down, if anything, he, he he's treated better than most people. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, Johnny Depp was pretty much uh, thrown out of the Pirates movie before his his whole trial. This this man at least had to had his trial. He got arrested in March of 2023. He was just convicted on December 18th of this year. He's found guilty of two misdemeanor counts of assault and harassment of his now ex-girlfriend, Grace Jabari, if I pronounced that right. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be sentenced in February. And it, after his conviction, he was, um, his Marvel Studios dropped him. Pretty much anybody that had uh, projects with him. I think he's in either the Army or Air Force ads. He's got dropped for that. Um, so I think that's more fair. I see numerous times people getting dropped uh, before, you know, before anything comes out. And then later on, they say, oh, whoops, we were wrong, but the damage has already been done. So at yeah. least in his case, hey, we'll keep you around. We'll monitor it. And oh, okay. Your peers judged you as guilty. There's video of you doing it. They judged you. Now we're going to cut yeah, ties. Yeah, yeah. He's guilty. There's no doubt about it. He's guilty. The video in the Texas show it. Uh, it's it's this, the punishment warrants, meaning his cancellation being dropped. 
that's a moral dilemma each person has to look on themselves individually based on what they would do. Uh, but in essence, he assaulted this woman, his girlfriend, Grace Jabari, in a car in New York in March. He broke her finger and, 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 and her arm swelled up along with her ears. So maybe he punched her or something, who knows. Uh, but I, as you said, he was found guilty. His sentencing will be February 6th. Manhattan, and this is what's surprising. I, I'll be honest, I was surprised that, that the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, who was very racial, you know, in how he proceeds with who he uh, decides to go after. I was shocked that he did go after him. But I think the feminists who all supported him, all those groups, he kind of had no choice. They viewed him as just a man. And we're going to go after him because this is the Me Too movement. And uh, uh, he said that, it, that, that, that Major showed a pattern of abuse and coercion. And obviously the jury agreed with him. And for those who aren't aware the next upcoming segment of the Marvel Comics universe is the new chapter. They, you know, that whole universe has been built upon chapters, and Avengers Endgame was the end chapter of the current saga. And Kang the Conqueror is supposedly a major part in the upcoming saga. And for those that don't understand, Thanos is the big daddy, but Kang the Conqueror is also a big bad guy in the Marvel universe, as is who Silver Surfer's uh, big enemy. Uh, 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 yeah, I can't remember. Galactus, Galactus. Okay, so, so there like you go. Thanos, Kang, and Galactus, like like the three big cosmic beings, and 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 Kang was 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 uh, on hand here. You know, he tried to defend himself by saying he had a rough childhood. You know, this or that. Uh, uh, but his education is, is, is pretty, uh, is a formidable pedigree for anybody with match. You know, uh, uh, a bachelor's degree from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, Yale, uh, graduating with a master of fine arts. Uh, so talk to us. Uh, so, I mean, so my point is, he's a highly educated man. You know, he knows what's right, what's wrong, et cetera, et cetera. But talk to us about. It seems like he was already dating. Talk to us about what caused it, Sean. What caused him to beat his woman? <laughs> well, supposedly it started over him. Him. Okay. His ex <laughs> saw a romantic text from another woman on his phone and grabbed his phone. And I guess that's what got him angry at her. And this is sort of confirmed in text messages released, uh, I guess, during the trial. A text message from Jabari said, I told him that it was my fault for trying to grab your phone. So that was seen to confirm that, yes, she did see a romantic text message from another woman and uh, grabbed it. Which brings me to my next thing, you know, which is, you know, I'm, I'm just speculating here. But this happened at the end of March, this uh, little incident. And then I was reading that uh, Mr. Majors had a new girlfriend as of May. So. Pretty much a month later, he's dating uh, another actress, Megan Good. And, well, the timeline is just a month later. I wonder if it was her text messages that were discovered by uh, the, the former uh, ex-girlfriend that started this whole argument. <laughs> well, you know, Sean, Do you have any opinion you, on that? You when you left out a very important word, it was a romantic text. And that is a big deal. I mean, if a woman takes my uh, my phone and my wife sees it, hey, we set for that meeting tomorrow morning at nine. You know, she's not going to react. But you know, if she sees a text, yo, baby, 
what time are you going to be here tomorrow night? <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, so it's very important for the audience to understand it was a romantic text. And Sean's right. You know, the, and, and this is not me picking on Jonathan Major. It's just Hollywood. You know, when you are a stud, when I sold my business, God bless my friend, Sean. He loved me to death. He's pumping me up. And we're getting hammered at my friend's bar. He closed the bar down. But my other friends brought some girls. They were still single and all that. Once they found out who what I had done, you know, what with the business I had done this, they assumed a lot more than what was probably true. They were throwing themselves at me. I'm, I BS you not. Two beautiful women. My friend exited them out of the restaurant and we kind of carried on. But my point is, that's me, a nobody. Somebody like Jonathan Majors, to me, who is the next coming to Dennis Haysburg. He's not strikingly handsome, but he's got that rugged look, you know. Uh, not quite leading man, but if you're in a bar fight, you want him next to you. Uh, so he probably has his pick of the litter. So, Sean, I would be more willing to believe your speculative text or, or, or point there as true based off history. Yeah. Now. Let's talk about the, 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 I don't want to talk about this long, but there was a very uh, key point I want people to understand here. It doesn't matter who you are, actors are going to play the part, you know, to try to get that jury to get feel sympathetic. What did you think about majors arriving in the courtroom every morning carrying a gold leaf Bible, making sure the jury saw him hugging his family and the woman you just talked about, his current actress, girlfriend, Megan Good. I mean, to me, dude, he's an actor. That's like second nature. But to me, that, that tends to have backlash effect when, when the jury could say, man, he's just putting on an act. What do you think about him, especially holding the Bible? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I think everybody becomes religious when they're <laughs> facing <laughs> the, the justice system. It's pretty amazing how that happens. You know, everybody... Uh, Everybody's a, a man of God when, uh, you know, they're about to put their hand on a Bible to swear to tell this whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. Exactly. And this isn't it because he's black. I know we've talked about race, but I want to make it clear. It's it's any man. I mean, remember Weinstein, all of a sudden with the cane, he could barely walk. <laughs> yeah, watching him walk. So everybody does it. When I went to court a couple of times, I won't say for what. And I was in my suit. I had my hair cut uh, to 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 uh, boy next door levels. You know the the beaver look. You know I you know I was clean shaven. Heck, I could barely grow uh, facial hair at that point. But yeah. You gotta put on the act. I just found it humorous. I didn't think it was good or bad on his part. To me, it's like, gotta play the game. But I find it humorous because it's always the Bible. And progressives hate the Bible. But yet they're the first ones to grasp onto it whenever they're in this type of situation, just like everybody else does. Now, major lawyer said, she was the aggressor, uh, uh, that she flew into a jealous rage after reading the text message. Uh, she spread, fan she, she had a fantasy to take him down. Uh, uh, she, she was lying about him. Uh, and she was even uh, revenge partying and charging champagne, I guess, on his credit card. She must have had his credit card. But what I found, so your take on that, but what I found kind of sad on his part, I'm not defending him, but it's, he found her unconscious in the closet of his Manhattan pet, their Manhattan penthouse, as, as I read. And then he called the police and he was arrested and she was transported to the hospital. As a cop, as a man, and just as a human being who looks at everybody equally, that final scene I laid out, in terms of he called the cops, he's arrested, she's taken. What goes through your mind when you read, uh, read something like that happening? 
Have you been in a situation where it's happened like that? Well, luckily not to me, but <laughs> first in my first life. But anyways, uh, so the, I don't know all the details on it, but a lot of people from when I worked would call the police and I'm not going to say we saw a good majority of the time the person calling ended up getting arrested and they're shocked by it. And it's just because you call the police does not mean you're not at fault. And I, I don't know the situation here, why she was unconscious. Was she drunk and passed out or, you know, did they get in a fight and then she got drunk and passed out? You know, like I said, I don't know all the details, but she had injuries according to what was documented and went to court, broken finger marks. And, you know, regardless if she flew into a jealous rage, um, he should have called the police at that point and, you know, had them come and, and it seems like he called later to try to, after realizing what had taken place, to make himself sort of look innocent in, in terms of, look, she's passed out. She's, she caused all these problems. And after you getting both stories, and I think the attorney brought in the text messages to try to prove that, you know, she flew into a jealous rage. And from what I read, a lot of people said, yeah, but those text messages actually sort of corroborated that he did hurt her, you know, that like she said in these text messages, you know, I have these injuries, but I'm going to be okay. I don't want you to get in yeah. trouble. So the text messages proved that she did sustain injuries. And, you know, in the text messages, she says, I don't want to go ahead with, you know, prosecuting her. And I don't know if she changed her mind, but also New York is probably similar to like, say, California, where the domestic violence victim doesn't have to want to prosecute. The state will go ahead right, anyways. Right. So even though the so these text messages, I think, helped her and the prosecutors more than it helped him. And I think it might have been a tactical mistake. And I'm no attorney. Well, I've passed yeah, the bar, but I, I'm I'm not a practicing attorney. Uh, I, it was a tactical error, in my opinion, uh, bringing these text messages because it sort of corroborated what she said and what the evidence showed happened. Right. I agree. The final point I'm going to make, and you can react to it or not, is uh he doesn't sound like a good dude. Sounds like an arrogant, conceited dude. And I'm not judging him because of anything but this, this the final points. They played audio of him declaring himself of how great a man he is. I mean, to have a head that big, he can probably barely fit through the average size door, you know? Uh, uh, uh. Then they also questioned, they, then he questioned whether Jabari, his, his girlfriend at the time, the one he beat on, uh, could live up to the standards set by the spouses of Martin Luther King and Obama, which makes no sense. Uh, uh, Luther King's uh, uh, wife was, was a subservient woman to Luther King, accepting the fact he was sleeping with white women in various cities. And Michelle Obama seems to uh, have as much equality in decision-making as Barack. So I didn't get that, but I think his point was comparing himself to those two men. Uh, but Jabari said he was excess excessively controlling and prone to fits of explosive rage to left her afraid physically. So, so you know, when you're in fear of a man and you're still with him, you're not with him for love. Uh, in my well, maybe you are. A lot of rape victims love their husbands or love their boyfriends. So, 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 so. But the first point, he sounds to me like he was fooling himself. What do you think? And then we'll move on. Well, yep, they had they. I read an article or a lot of past people who went to school with him uh, in the drama classes said he was not a good person. Numerous people are now. I mean, that's what people do. They pile on when you're 
when you're on your way down. But uh, they, they, a lot of people have come out to say that he is not a good person. So maybe it, it was not a one-time incident. Yeah, and, and the way they dropped him, uh, the studios, and this dropping started after he got arrested. You know, Marvel kind of, kind of, Marvel kind of put him in a, in a holding pattern before they let him go. Uh, uh, but I think what you just said, that's why he was dropped. Because uh, my first thought is, one, he's black. So why you know they they've been protecting a lot of these individuals versus the white individuals like Johnny Depp who who lost roles. But then I did a little research. They've actually been casting both white and black people. Uh, but the way they did this one, the way it happened, I immediately thought, God, they gotta have something on it for them to do it this quick. And sure enough, what you said reiterates that. And with that, we wish Jonathan Majors the best in hopes he can change who and what he is, if he is the person that's been convicted and described. Everybody deserves a second chance. Uh, whether he gets it or not, to be honest, I don't care. He, he doesn't affect my life. But as a human being, I hope he can become a better man. That's all you can ever do for anybody. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I, it looks like justice was served here. It looks like he was guilty of it. He tried to throw everything he could to see what stuck against a wall and nothing stuck. And he's going to have to reinvent himself. All right. Let's move on to some quick hits here. Sean, we got about 10 minutes left. I want to talk quickly about Mickey Mouse. I got all excited because Mickey Mouse is getting ready to enter the public domain. There's a law that after 90, a copyright law, after 95 years, you can, uh, 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 the, the character you created becomes public domain. Disney fought that. They got one 20-year extension in the 80s. They got another extension in the 90s. Now they're not shooting for an extension. I believe because the only thing going into the public domain is Steamboat Mickey, which doesn't even closely resemble today's current uh, Mickey Mouse. My concern is you have Disney publicly interfering and lobbying the government to grant them a couple of favors so they could keep the copyright. Uh, well, what's your take from that point? And is this, this is not a big deal, it seems like. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I was actually expecting them to try to lobby again, but I think it is getting a little ridiculous because the point of copyright law is to, you know, allow a company to make a, a good profit off of their invention for a decent amount of time. And that decent amount of time, you know, I think 95 years, which is what it said, you know, is enough time. And they've made their money. It, it should go back in the public domain. But the Steamboat Willie character, like you said, is not with the Mickey Mouse we know today. So they probably decided not to lobby because it's, it's probably more costly to do the lobbying again for another 20 years for a character that they're not even marketing. If I go to Disneyland, I'm not buying Steamboat Willie Mickey dolls at their at their store. So it's 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 not a big loss. They still keep their Mickey ears uh, for, you know, at the at the amusement park. So you can't use that anyways to, de you know, designate have that whole thing sealed down. So it's it's not a big deal and probably wasn't worth the money. Right now. To, to kind of correct you a little bit, you can buy Steamboat Mickey uh, stuff when you go to those places, but obviously it probably didn't make a big portion of their sale. And two, they have protected all every current iteration of Mickey, they have protected through the copyright laws. I have two issues, and then we'll let this go. Is uh, I don't think it's the government's business. Whoever created that, uh, 
should own it. And if Disney owns it, I don't think they have any, it should be anybody's right to go do what they want to make a profit off of Disney's product. That's how I feel, not about Disney, but any character. Uh, uh, but there are some laws we we'll talk about later in other shows in terms of protecting artists where corporations kind of steal their creation. And, and two, this is just kicking the can down the road. Eventually, this is going to happen to every iteration they have. And I think that's where you're going to see the, the lobby. All right. Talk to me a little bit about Matthew Perry. Dead by ketamine. Originally listed as drowning, which is very common because as a diver, I've said this before, I know it. When you drown, with diving, they say, oh, cardiac. And then they try to figure it out. So they were trying to figure it out. Can you talk to us a little bit about ketamine, uh, ketamine itself and then the ketamine, uh, 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 what's it called, the ketamine therapy? Well, just basically ketamine is a, they're using it as an anesthetic, uh, but it's also being recently used for depression. And uh, it, as a, sadly, it's being used as a recreational drug, which is just about every drug becomes a recreational drug. Everybody, yeah. will, tr everybody will try anything. And I guess I didn't know it's been used as a date rape drug, but um, apparently, wow. Matthew, apparently Matthew Perry had been undergoing some ketamine treatment for depression. Obviously, he was not given this much ketamine to to uh, take in the hot tub. I highly doubt that's what a doctor recommended. Uh, but uh, so he took overdosed on the ketamine. It pretty much shut shut down his system, and he and that's what probably made him drown. And uh, so when I was doing research on this, I found the irony is that there was three top researchers listed on Wikipedia uh, on ketamine. And one of them, uh, D.M. Turner, was he wrote uh, several books on psychedelics and uh, ketamine. He died after injecting ketamine, and he drowned in a bathtub. So it's sort of oh wow. This is, so it's sort of weird that one of the top three people previously on ke on ketamine research died pretty much the exact same way that Matthew Perry did. He died because he was alone. You know, had somebody been there, they could have uh, grabbed him as he went under. And, uh, uh, you know, first of all, the coroner did say that uh, his death couldn't have been from his final ketamine treatment. So he, he had a lot in his system. And, and one of the, 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 the things that ketamine does, it, it's a hallucinogen. Is that how you say it? Hallucinogenic. Hallucinogenic. That's where the, the, the Spanish accent in my upbringing screwed me up. And so, but however, they use it as therapy for depression, disorder, anxiety disorders, and PTSD, but it's fairly new. You know, it's it, it, you take it through IV or nasal spray. I would assume he was taking it probably through nasal spray as it's much easier, but who knows? Uh, and it gives you a rapid relief of depression. Uh, 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 of depression symptoms and the ketamine can help you for days and people are saying it shows promise uh, uh some of the side effects uh, sean are nausea dizziness headaches disassociation this is the big one it's one of the big ones disassociation or disconnection for one's bodies thoughts and feelings and that's important <laughs> our psyches are connected to our bodies when there's a disconnect that's when bad things can happen. Obviously, you have increased blood pressure, heart rate, and vertigo. I suffer from vertigo. And uh, during my period, in fact, I'm suffering it from, from it now. I, I'm going to have to go to the doctor, and they're going to tell me they don't know. So I got some Sudafed. Hopefully, it's based off of water in my ear. But that can mess you up. There have been times I've gotten up, 
with vertigo, and I immediately drop to my knees perfectly. Because I know if I don't drop to my knees and grab something, I'm going to boom, fall. So, and the reason I bring that up, combined as a hallucinogenic, odds are he was tripping hard with a hallucinogenic, vertigo, feeling disconnected. I agree with the doctor that said this. He slight, he probably just slipped into the hot tub and drowned. Now, before I get to your comment, to conclude with the, the, the side effects, the side effects I said are minor. The serious side effects, chest pain, discomfort, or tightness, kind of like, ugh, I'm having a heart attack, I'm guessing. Confusion, you know, when you're drunk, you can get easily confused, so, so think of it along those lines. Difficulty with swallowing, irregular, fast, or slow, or shallow breathing, seeing, hearing, or feeling things that aren't there, that's a disconnect, uh, and seizures. Do you think my theory is correct and not correct, but plausible? He was he was tripping so bad, he slid into the pool and drowned. And I asked you, Sean, because the average person assumes, and, and it's happened to us, you know, when you're sleeping, you, you feel like you're falling, boom, you wake up. You know, when, when you slip into the water, I've done that as a diver sitting on the surface of my buoy, and all of a sudden the wave hits, boom, kind of like gets me going because the water gets my nose. That's what the average person thinks. What's your theory on what could have happened? And, and we're not saying this is what happened, it's just our theory. Well, I'm going, you know, from what I read on it, you know, it says it's an anesthetic. It, it probably super relaxed him to the point of, you know, maybe being unconscious. And then he slipped under the water. And because he's on the ketamine, he didn't wake up when he went under the water and he drowned. I mean, I'll be the first to admit when I had a hot tub, you have a couple drinks. There was times in there I was so relaxed. I was like, man, I feel so weak. I don't even know if I can crawl out of this hot tub. I'm, I'm so relaxed and, and tired. And that's just after like, oh, you know, right. three or three or four drinks. So, I mean, I can't imagine if ketamine is, I'm assuming a lot stronger than alcohol. That's, you know, he, yes, the ketamine didn't OD and kill him, but it relaxed him so much. He just slipped under the water and, you know, that's why they have warnings everywhere. Like don't drink and get in the hot tub. Well, don't do uh, relaxing drugs and get in the hot tub either. Right, and, and for an analogy, it's like AIDS. You have the HIV uh, virus in you, the AIDS virus, and that doesn't kill you. What kills you is you catch something because your autoimmune system's been destroyed by the HIV virus. So technically on your death certificate, died from pneumonia or something, but it was the uh, AIDS virus that, 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 that precipitated and allowed that to happen. I'm gonna end this segment here with a quote. This is a quote from Dr. Zaid Fadu, the medical director at Better You and an expert in medicine. And I want to give a hat tip to Cinema Blend where I got this article, Dr. Defense, Matthew Perry's ketamine treatments following autopsy results. But this is kind of like the coincide with what Sean is saying. His quote, I don't think it's fair to say he died from ketamine. If you use Xanax in a hot tub, you could drown. And if you are drunk in a hot tub, you could drown. In fact, if you're just in a hot tub for more than 30 minutes, you could have possibilities. That's why you see the warnings on hot tubs. So I don't know if it's really fair to say ketamine killed him. And the reason he's saying that, Sean, is because he thinks it's a good therapy to use and he feels people aren't going to want to do this and providers may not want to do it either because of, uh, of how viral this story has now become. And uh, we'll never figure out exactly how he died, but we're pretty sure we know how he died. And with that, Sean, let's get to our second one. The Marvels. The global run is over. 
Uh, a hat tip to Collider.com. The Marvel's global box office ends its lowest grossing Marvel Comics Universe movie ever. You want to tell the audience a little bit about the overview? You want me to handle that uh, and and then you chime in? I'll just chime in. Let's just, we'll knock right. this out quick. So the Marvels, as we all know, we talked about it in our very first podcast. I was so woke. <laughs> the director just blatantly making racist comments. Uh, and I think these comments actually are, uh, will bring them compassion. They don't. They're just like, no, you're just a racist. You know, as compared to previous Marvel movies, the lowest low opening weekend. There, some critics are trying to say, oh, it's because of Disney's streaming strategy uh, that kind of predicated this low opening. You know, and that probably has some truth. But to break even, the movie would have had to gross $600 million. It cost nearly $300 million to make. They had that budget, Sean, because it was a $1.1 billion uh, gross that the first Marvel movie had. First of all, what's your take on this being oversaturation as part of the reason that, that it failed? You know, we've had too much superhero movies. Uh, I don't believe that because... Actually, I think it's been we've had less superhero movies recently come out because I mean, what came out before that? That I mean, I can't even remember the previous superhero movie that was uh, out before that. So I don't think it's oversaturation. People are going to grasp at straws when your movie bombs to try to justify why it bombed. It's just not a good movie. Well, I've done a lot of research on this, uh, ironically, not a lot like like a college researcher would, but I studied the Blue Beetle. The Flash, Shazam, both movies, counting the Black Adam one, and the Marvels. And, and there's one tie-in every single one of these movies has. And it's it, 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 a lot of them are like what I say uh, on a subconscious level, but people, because we're so, so uh, tribalistic, people are not picking up on it, like the flag uh, theme in, in, in the movie we talked about previously. And that is, these are woke movies. And people are now saying, I'm not going to go see it. I'm not going to support it. You, you're forced to go take your daughter to go see Barbie because she grew up with her daughter from a little kid and she's still a little kid. As young adults who, are, who, who make turn these hundreds of millions of dollars into billions, we're not going anymore. The, the, the current gross of this movie is $83 million domestically. Overseas is $120 million. This movie grossed $70 million less than what The Flash made, who, which is seen as a colossal bust. My take is you stop making woke movies and people will come back. They're lying by saying it's a superhero theme. It's not. Have they stopped making cop buddy movies? I mean, haven't we been oversaturated with that? We get, how many Hallmark movies do they make every year? It's not oversaturation. It's the quality of the movies. First of all, your take on the theme of this being woke, just another string of woke movies. Well, I didn't, like I said, I didn't see it, but supposedly it is. I, I'm sticking with what I saw in the theater. You know, they, they had the woke agenda, but it also just looked like a crappy movie. So I didn't go see The Flash because it didn't look good. I didn't go. I didn't even know Blue Beetle was out, so I I don't know if that's any good. Bro, uh, bro, just, come on, show me just, some Latino you know, love. You know the Blue Beetle was a Latino. I, what, what comic universe is he in? DC, Marvel, what? I don't even know. I remember 
Charlton Comics from when we were very little kids. They, you know, from there he went to Vanguard, then eventually to DC. He's had three oh, iterations of Blue Beetle. Uh, uh, but you're right, he's a minor player. Uh, 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 yeah, I've done a lot of study, and it's and 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 like the some of these movies don't even have heavy woke themes. But when you sit there and say Batman is fascist, he's one of the icons. That's a woke theme that they blatantly say. When when Sarah Susan Sarandon on the Blue Beetle is on the late night show says, "Oh yeah, I, I played this movie's evil white person," you know, with the military industrial company. So they're not doing themselves, and it's common sense. You're a man. I'm a man. We were boys. We would grab. We would look at. What a boy! That's a hot comic book character. But we gravitated to the male characters. This is an all-female cast. They took out 50% of their audience. You ask, add the woke element. Only a moron in Hollywood would have seen this as not woke. You know, what's your what's your thought moving forward? What do you think it's going to take uh, 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 for Hollywood? And I kind of know the answer, but let the audience know. What's your take on what does Disney or any studio doing superhero movies have to do? to have another blockbuster success? Well, <laughs> the first, I think they just need to produce a movie that is there purely for entertainment purposes and stick to what the characters are supposed to be from what everybody grew up on in the comic books. People go to movies to be entertained and also to reminisce about, you know, their, to relive their childhood, see it come to life. I mean, that's why we, we talked about why I, go, why I watch Cobra Kai and see the Karate Kid. It's my youth. Spider-Man. You portray Spider-Man like I read him in the comic books, and I'll go see the movie. I didn't read the I didn't read Marvel comic, but, uh, you know, if they portrayed that like it was supposed to be, you know, then I, and it made a good movie, I'd go see it. So portray it how the characters were made, and we'll go see the movie. Or at least I'll see the movie. I agree. I'm on board with Sean. Uh, the other, the final uh, uh, two comments I'll make is stop using minor characters. They're easier to use with the special effects, but the, the Marvel character is a convoluted character in Marvel's history. Uh, it's not a very well uh, liked character in the comics. You know, they've tried its own shots here and there and it's failed with the sales. And, and remember your audience. Remember who your core audience is and, and, and you'll go back to these massive blockbuster hits. I wanted to make one more point, but I completely forgot about it. But it, it must not be important. But just remember your audience, Disney. And remember, we're not woke. And we're showing you, yes, uh, if it's not conservatives, it's Americans don't want crap. And with that, Sean, I'm not going to ask you for the final word on this because I said she gave it. And we are done. We managed to put on a great show. I thought we had some great comments and points uh, on the uh uh, uh, Obama. Did you want to, I have, you movie? haven't stopped it yet, have you? No. Oh, no, we're still rolling. Uh, uh, Sean's asking if I had stopped the, the tape. No, we're still rolling. Uh, so we did a good job ourselves, Sean. And, and I say this because the audience. You didn't want to, you didn't do great. your grumblings media? You didn't do your grumblings no, media. That comes last. That comes last. Uh, that comes <laughs> last. But uh, so for the audience, we need your feedback. We want to know topics you want to hear about, you want us to talk about. We are a more, we lean conservative, and you can tell that. Because I am uber truthful with how I see the tribalism happening. And the reason I'm uber truthful is until we can look at hard, ugly truths for what they are, truths, we can't move forward as a society. And that's my hope and goal as somebody who comes, despite my skin tone, who comes from an extremely mixed uh, uh, family. So with that, Sean, a great show. And for the audience, 
You can catch this podcast as well as others. We have our points on the board, our sports podcast. We have our, our big questions with Big John, our interview podcast. We have our free for all, which is our libertarian political podcast. You can find all these along with clips at grumblingsmedia.com. You can also find us on Rumble and YouTube under the profile handle of Grumblings Media and the traditional outlets of Google, Spotify, Pandora, and, and Apple, the biggest one, you know? So for sure, and also do not forget to share this video if you listen to it, you know, and to follow us on our various media platforms. And for Sean and myself, host of the Red, White, and Rude Entertainment Podcast. Until next time, my friends, we bid you adieu.